G'day and welcome to the podcast of Outpost Church in McLaren Vale. We hope you find this encouraging. So we're going to read the whole chapter. We're going to focus in on the last few verses, very famous verses, often called the Great Commission. So Jesus has um, just been buried at this point. Matthew 28 starts off with, After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. The angel told the women, don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. What a combination. They ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then Jesus met them and said, greetings. They came up took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. As they were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. After the priests had assembled with the elders and agreed on a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money and told them, say this, his disciples came during the night and stole him while we were sleeping. If this reaches the governor's ears, we will deal with him and keep you out of trouble. They took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been spread among Jewish people to this day. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have spoken to us Thank you that you speak to us through your word, and we want to hear you. We don't want to simply look at words on a page. We want to receive what you have to say to us today. Thank you that these words are life to us, because you are the way, the truth, and the life. I pray that we would receive all that you have for us today, and we would put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's interesting to see the different 
things we pick up as we read the end of each of the Gospels. So that last chapter of Mark was our focus last week, and the last chapter of Matthew our focus this week. And we have the, the shock, like it's quite an alarming start where an angel appears. And it tells us that was why the thunder happened, was because the angel came down and descended upon a rock and sat on it. We get interesting details in each of the different gospel accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. And you have the angel that's telling the women what they need to know, but then Jesus comes and reinforces it, gives the same information. We're going to focus in on those last, uh, last few verses from verse 16. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee. That is a 100-mile journey. My brother-in-law just ran 100 miles last weekend. It was fair effort from what I understand. They took a 100-mile journey, 160 kilometers to get from Jerusalem to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. It's interesting. It's not the first time that we see a mountain and Jesus on a mountain in the Gospel of Matthew. Can anyone think of any other time that Jesus is up on a, a mountain? He's in the desert when he's fasting. So the transfiguration, that happens in, in Matthew. And so you get a sense of his glory. He's transfigured on top of a mountain and it's pretty epic. Any other times? Sermon on the Mount. And does anybody know what the people went away talking about after Jesus had given a pretty epic monologue what was it that struck them about Jesus? Yeah, his authority. He wasn't like the teachers of the law and the scribes who quibbled and quoted. He was Jesus who spoke with authority and even the demons submitted to him. So this sense of Jesus' authority, which is interesting as we continue to read through this. Verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. It's not clear whether they worshipped first and then doubted, or whether it seems like all of them worshipped, but we find out that some of them doubted. It's interesting that we have that detail. Like It's the sort of detail that normally wouldn't be included when you're trying to talk about how majestic and amazing someone is to say, yeah, there was, there was some that actually doubted that were there. And this is the 11. This is the 12 minus Judas, who was already dead at this point. So it's the 11 remaining disciples who are there, who have been with Jesus for the three and a half years, and some of them doubted. Someone once um, asked, and I'm going to ask you to think of the same thing, this past Easter, if you were to pick a punctuation mark to describe Easter... For you, like this past Easter, what would it be? Would it be like a comma? You know, it happened, it was a brief pause, but then you keep on going. Was it like a full stop? And yeah, you know, it did actually bring things to a halt, but it wasn't as eventful as you hoped and you sort of kept on going. Have a chat to someone near you. Which punctuation mark would you choose to describe your experience of Easter just a few weeks back? 
Okay. as you keep chewing on that one. If you think about the disciples, and for them, if you were to try and pinpoint what it was for them on Good Friday after Jesus had died, it's probably a full stop. It's probably the end. So here's the one that they were hoping was the Messiah. They were pretty confident it was the Messiah, and now we're like, oh, I don't know, but he's dead. So it's over. It's finished. It's a full stop, maybe the end of a paragraph, end of the story even but very much a sense of finality. But then, interestingly enough, when he's resurrected, it's probably more of a question mark than anything else. Because you've got Peter, who's seen Jesus at least a couple of times, and then he goes fishing. He's like, I don't know what to make of all of this. Like, he's come back, but now what? And then it's only a bit later on, certainly by the time we get to Pentecost, when it's an exclamation mark, when it's like, oh my God, goodness, everyone needs to know about this. I've never mispronounced goodness before, but you're welcome. <laughs> everyone needs to know, like, this is epic and amazing. And when they did, they started telling absolutely everyone. But it wasn't that straight away. And it's interesting for us, just as we process stuff, um, and to, to think, what does it mean for us that Jesus has died and that he's been resurrected and that he's ascended up to the right hand of the Father and that he rules forever and ever. And my hope in my life is that more and more it is that exclamation mark. It is something that needs to be communicated, needs to be conveyed. We've got other examples where in the scriptures people doubt and then they worship. I'm more comfortable with that because you deal with your doubt and then you're settled and then you worship and then you just continue to worship and that's what you always do, just worship. But I wonder if any of us can relate to this thing of worshipping but then subsequent to the worship, doubt. We're in good company because the disciples did the same, at least some of them did the same. And just like how Jesus, in his instruction to, um, to the Marys, he tells them to go and tell my brothers. 
doesn't say, go tell those scoundrels who fled when I needed them. He's like, go tell my brothers to meet me 100 miles away and we'll hang out. Why 100 miles away? I don't know. He's wondering if they really wanted to meet with him, perhaps. Um, but here's the, one of the most audacious, if not the most audacious statements in history is coming up in the next verse where he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All of it. Every single bit of authority. That's a big statement. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Remember with the Sermon on the Mount, it finished with everyone going away declaring his authority. And if you go with me on this, the Mount of Transfiguration, you have the Father declaring Jesus' authority. This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And then here you have the final mountain that we have referenced in the book of Matthew. And Jesus declares his own authority. We had reference to the temptation of Jesus. And Satan puts forth his own authority saying, I can give this to whoever I want because it's been given to me. The glory of all these cities has been given to me. I can give it to whoever I want. Bow down and worship me. And Jesus rejecting that authority. And now we have the most audacious statement of all. All authority has been given to me. And in case you're thinking about just one realm, he's like, uh-uh. In heaven and on earth, all of it. All authority has been given to me. It's interesting that he doesn't, in this instance, go after their identity. Here you have some people that have worshipped him and they doubt. He doesn't say, you are my disciples. You are my brothers. You are the ones I have called. No, no. He talks about his own authority. And it's freeing for us to know, in times that we doubt, the biggest thing that matters is that he has all authority. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yes, he has made us new creations. We are his brothers. We are children of God. These are things to be celebrated, but not apart from him. We are only those things in him. All authority has been given to him. It is upon that basis that he says, verse 19, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We have four verbs that come up in, in this here. And it's been interesting, like in recent um, decades in particular, there's been a real de-emphasis on the go. And maybe you've heard people talk about how it's really as you go. And that's up for debate. Um, whether Jesus is actually saying, go and make disciples of all nations, so the first verb is a directive that we are to go, or whether it's more a case of as you go, as you live your life, make disciples of all nations. It is basically universally agreed upon that the main verb, the main directive is the making disciples part. And I want to affirm that. The main thing we are to do is to make disciples. 
But if we're not currently going, <laughs> we need to start going. It's assumed that we are already going. So as you go, make disciples. If you're not going, start going and make disciples as you go. And then the next two are baptizing them. And he makes it clear his own authority again. Because he's not just saying baptize them in the name of Yahweh. He says in the name of the Father and of me. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then the next part, and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. So the baptizing and the teaching, that's not the sum total of what it is to be a disciple. But if we are making disciples of all nations, it's going to include baptizing. And it's going to include teaching to obey everything that I have commanded you. And I spoke before about money, and it's a weird thing to speak about money in our culture. We don't do it a lot. And certainly in our church, we've probably done it less than we ought to when it comes to finances and giving and stuff. But Jesus spoke about money a lot. Jesus has a lot to say about a lot of things. And as we read through the Sermon on the Mount, when he says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, or teaching them to observe is this translation, everything I have commanded you, we need to know what Jesus said. It's not enough to have a vague understanding of some of the things that he said. We need to know what he said. If we're going to obey what he has commanded or observe what he has commanded, we need to know what he's commanded. And the Sermon on the Mount is three solid chapters, maybe a hundred verses, a hundred verses of Jesus giving instructions. And that's just one of the places that we can find his commandments. And so we are called to teach others. If we're going to teach others, we sure better be doing it ourselves. So we've got to know it, we've got to be doing it, and teaching others. These are very significant things. But out of the four verbs, the key one is making disciples. So as you go or go, whichever one it is, make disciples of all nations and we baptize, and we teach. And then the amazing promise that comes at the end of this, remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's not Jesus giving his G up to the troops, and he's like, good luck. Let me know how it goes. I am with you as you go and make disciples and baptize and teach. He's coming with us on the journey. And just like there's four verbs in this, there's four alls. All authority. Every last bit. And we are to make disciples of who? All nations. And he's with us always. And I missed the third one, which is that we are to teach all the things. All the things that he has taught. His disciples are then to be taught to the subsequent disciples, you know? It's an ongoing thing. So his commission to us is the same as his commission to his disciples in that moment. We are to, to go to baptize, sorry, to go to make disciples, to baptize and to teach. So my first question for you is, have you been baptized?
have you been baptized in water? And if you have not yet been baptized in, in water, why not? It's the first of his commands in this sense, explicitly. What does it look like to be a disciple? One thing it looks like is that you'll be baptized in water. It is such a symbolic, like a beautiful symbolic thing where you identify with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. You go under that water, you are submerged in it. You are buried with Christ. So both Romans 6 um, talk about this as well as in uh, Colossians chapter 2 talks about this as well, where the symbolism is that you are buried with Christ and then you are resurrected with Christ as well. When we were at Seeds, we had a couple of different um, baptism tanks, and, and one of them was what was much more popular than the other. The one that was more popular was took way longer to set up. Um, and when you were baptizing someone, you were in the water with them. And, you know, you lay them back in and get them back up, but, you know, it's nice that you're in there with them. The other one looked like a coffin. And you just lay this person back in. So as the person on the baptizing, you know, arm got wet. That was it. Not a lot of commitment. Um, lay them back in and bring them back out. And it was a little bit morbid, you know, laying someone down in, into a coffin. But it's appropriate because you are declaring that you have died with Christ. Those words of Paul in Galatians, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I missed the first bit, didn't I? I've been crucified with Christ. That symbolism is helpful for us to understand that we've actually died. But there's something about being in the water with someone or being in the ocean with them is even better again. Because as you are baptized into Christ, you are not alone. It's not just you and Jesus. You are baptized into the family of faith. And that's a beautiful thing to be in that together with others. So first challenge is, if you haven't been baptized, get baptized. Second challenge is one that I've already laid upon you, and that's to get to know the commands of Jesus. If you don't know what he said, how can you know that you're following it? Let's get to know his commands. If you haven't read through the Gospels lately, read them haven't read them this year read them like, let's read the gospels let's see what he says and let's put it into practice i want to give a couple of minutes now where we can just reflect on a couple of things so i mentioned the two for two for 22 before i want you to make a plan for putting that into practice and if you're not going to put it into practice, I want you to have a really good reason why. If you've got something better, go for it. But it is nice to do these sort of things together. Two for two for 22. I've got it set on my watch. I have an alarm that goes off. So seven o'clock, reviver. <laughs> reviver in the south. And then 7.02. Two for two for 22. Two for two for 22. And it's helpful because we want to pray for the big stuff, but it's so important that we pray specific prayers as well. It's not that we hesitate on praying big, audacious prayers, 
but we also pray the specific ones. So I ask you to consider how will you put that into practice, the two for two for 22, but also what else it looks like for you to put the Great Commission into practice in your life. So let's just have two minutes, seems to be the right number, silently, just to consider that and sit with that. And then when you're ready, chat with someone near you. If you need to move to get near someone, please do that. But Father, we ask that you would speak to us. We want to be a part of your mission here on earth. Thank you that you call us to that. And it's stronger than that, isn't it, Lord? It's your command. You command us to be involved in your work of reconciling this world. Thank you that you have reconciled us. And thank you for the amazing freedom that we have in Christ. Thank you for all that he has done. Lord, help us to put your words into practice. And I ask that you would speak clearly to us now as we wait on you. Jesus' name. Amen. So a couple of minutes just to consider what it looks like for you. Two for two for 22. What else does it look like? And then when you're ready, chat to the person next.